Welcome to Anthrobites, the anthropod series designed to make anthropology more digestible. In each short episode, we tackle a key concept, text or theme in anthropology, breaking it down into bite-sized chunks and discussing its applications in theory and in practice. I'm your host, Dr Siobhan McGurk. Our guest for this episode is Dr Krista Craven, Associate Professor of Anthropology and of Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at the College of Worcester. Our topic for discussion is feminism, which may be briefly defined as the belief in and movement for gender equality in all areas of society. I sat down with Dr Craven to discuss feminist approaches to anthropology. Welcome, Dr Craven. Thank you for having me. To start off with, could you give us a brief rundown into the broad question of what is feminism? So some of the things that I think are central to feminism are thinking about equity and justice. And there are lots of different kinds of feminisms when we think historically, when we think cross-culturally, as well as even in a contemporary sense. We can think about liberal feminists fighting for voting equality. We can look toward transnational feminisms and black feminisms, different kinds of focus, but always centered on equity and justice. In recent years, feminism has also become kind of a buzzword and and something that's popular for many people to claim. And one of the concerns that I have as a feminist anthropologist is that oftentimes it becomes synonymous with this largely white and wealthy state of I love myself, I love my body, and therefore I'm a feminist. It's a very individualized notion of rights and feminism. And I think most feminists that think of themselves in a politically engaged way would see that as falling short of the goals of feminism that focus on collective engagement and focus on looking toward and working toward equity and justice in communities beyond your own, beyond yourself. It's not just about accepting yourself. I think that you're you're certainly revealing the long history of feminist action as being oriented towards social justice, but also raising that that important point that that justice has to be for everyone um, if it's really to be meaningful. So how has uh, feminism impacted anthropology? Absolutely. You know, when we look back, I mean, many people claim a variety of um, of female anthropologists in the late 1800s, early 1900s. You know, we have Zora Neale Hurston and Margaret Mead, who didn't identify themselves as feminist, but very much, um, you know, their work has contributed to the feminist canon. And in the 1970s, we have what Michaela De Leonardo called the Bibles of feminist anthropology come out, right? In the mid-70s, we have toward an anthropology of women and women, culture, and society. So feminism is very much influencing the discipline, certainly by that point. And I'd say it's actually more of a convergence, that it's not necessarily that that parts of feminism influence anthropology and parts of anthropology influence feminism, but there are actually, there's kind of a confluence between the two on some level. And so you get these sources that are frequently cited, right? The Bibles of feminist anthropology. Another one that is very often assigned in classes is Judith Stacy, who wrote Can There Be a Feminist Ethnography? It's one of those pieces that I think really helps us understand how to move away from a sisters under the skin idea of feminism and move towards something that is more about power and thinking about ethics and the kind of work that... I would hope that contemporary anthropologists really want to engage with. So could you say a little bit more about this idea of the sisters under the skin or or maybe what was the field or the discipline of anthropology like before these interventions, before these Bibles, as as you say, 
came onto the scene? Well, I think Judith Stacy's point, and she's she's sort of writing in the mid to late 80s, is that when we think about ethnography and about breaking down the power hierarchy between, you know, the researcher and the researched, oftentimes feminists saw this as because I'm a woman and because you're a woman, you know, somehow we we have this shared understanding of, of the world and shared understanding of our experiences and struggles in the world. And Judith Stacy really asks us to question that, to to think about the differences, um, you know, among women and among men, for that matter, that that we can't make those kinds of assumptions. You know, in the 1980s and 90s, we see a lot of efforts to decolonize the field. I mean, Faye Harrison's decolonizing anthropology really encourages us to kind of rethink who's contributing to the field and how and, and what kind of biases are coming in based on those contributions. Right, absolutely. And how would you say that theories that bring in this idea of intersectionality, how have they been used by feminist anthropologists? When we think about people's experiences, we have to think of them on an intersectional level. We have to think about the ways that race and class and nation are intersecting with gender and sexuality. But another theorist that I think is really important to feminist anthropology is Chandra Mohanty, who wrote, um, you know, Feminism Without Borders. And in that, she reflects on some of her earlier essays, like Under Western Eyes. And she outlines... I mean, she really advocates for a feminist solidarity in terms of the ways that we think about feminism when we're talking about transnational experiences. You know, she really wants us to work away from like the feminist as tourist model, where we only put in a week on, you know, feminism, transnational feminism. She wants us to work more from feminist solidarity in looking at ways that we're interconnected, looking at ways that we are also implicated in the struggles of women in various areas of the world. What does it mean that we wear clothes or use electronics that require low wage labor um, that's often done by women in different areas of the world. And she really encourages us to kind of move away from thinking of Western saviors and, and tourists to thinking more about feminist solidarity. And I think that's become very important for anthropologists to to think about in the 21st century. Absolutely. And people that you're talking about have written influential works that really emphasize the role of individuals and of collectives in making social change. These aren't just theories about the world. And your two recent collections, Feminist Ethnography and Feminist Activist Ethnography, written with Dana Ayn Davis, they are sort of pushing that idea further that you have the theory and the activism or the practice, but those two things can't really be be pulled apart. So what does that mean for young anthropologists or non so young anthropologists who are thinking about how to put a feminist practice behind their research and behind their writing. Absolutely. And I think when we think about feminism as a collective enterprise, um, you know, both of those texts were designed with that in mind. And, and particularly, I think of the textbook. I mean, the irony is that neither Donna nor I use textbooks in our classes. And here we were writing one. But we thought about it and we didn't want our words to be the only ones that were in it, which was why we interviewed so many people. I mean, we actually approached the textbook in some ways like you would a feminist ethnography. And so that idea of collective, that that some of those voices contradict each other, some of those voices chime in and support each other. I mean, you know, there's there's different ways that different people kind of put their stamp on the book, which to me was exciting as an example of that collective work. One of the things that we did was every person that we interviewed for the textbook, we asked 
what, you know, what advice would you pass along? And so there's a lot of rich advice there. And when I think about my own, I think it is focusing on community. It's not focusing on individual empowerment, but focusing as an anthropologist, how can I raise the volume of individual voices that might not otherwise be heard? But how can we do that in a way that gets us thinking about social justice and equity in communities more broadly than our own personal experience, and maybe more broadly than the individual experience of a particular participant? Absolutely. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about how your own work has, has led you to the point where you felt, you know, we need to be teaching our students better and teaching ourselves within the discipline better about how to do feminist ethnography and uh, feminist activist ethnography. Well, one of the things that, that Donayin and I did strategically is that we use the term activist scholars rather than scholar activists. And our reason for that was that many of us come to the field with prior commitments. And I think of myself as a college student. And when I went to college, I realized that a lot of inequities in the world that I was unaware of. And I wanted to change the world. I really wanted to think about in what ways could I contribute that would lessen the kinds of inequities that I was, I was now kind of newly seeing. So I knew in college, when I walked into an anthropology class, cultural anthro with Maria Vesperi, and she started talking and I went, wow. But it was something that really inspired me, kind of the ways that, um, that anthropologists look differently at the world. And so one of the things that Maria did for me was she recommended that I go to the American Anthropological Association conference. And so I headed up to Washington, D.C., and it was 1995. I had, you know, very diligently decided all the sessions I wanted to go to. And one of them was a 25-year retrospective on those Bibles of feminist anthropology. And so, you know, being the, the diligent undergraduate student, I sat in the first row and I was, you know, taking notes. And I saw Sherry Ortner and I saw all these people that, um, that I had read. And then someone I didn't know got up. Um, Lynn Bowles got up. And the paper that she gave, like I knew at that point that I wanted to become an anthropologist, but this was what helped me understand how I wanted to be an anthropologist. So she only cited Black women in the paper. And she made the point that these early works in feminist anthropology were largely by white women and, and that we didn't hear the insights that were being offered by women of color. So she was self-conscious in, in terms of who she cited, but she also really put the onus on us to find the kind of research that's going to give us new insights about the field, not only to continue citing the canon that we've been taught and that we have the power and, and the possibility of actually breaking that cycle. And so that really inspired me because it, it made me think about how I wanted to approach the field and how I wanted the research that I was doing to be political. So I didn't want my activism and my commitment to reproductive justice and reproductive rights to be something that was wholly separate from the academic work that I was doing. In fact, I really wanted to see those converge. Great, excellent. And so you mentioned a, an engagement with Lynn Bowles from 1995. You know, now we're in, in 2017. And some people might make the argument that feminism isn't necessary anymore, that we've got nowhere else to go. What would you say now for anthropologists? Why should they keep this kind of praxis in mind as they as they do their work? 
So I think that there are two things, at least when I think about myself and my own work, reasons that I think feminism and an attention to social justice is so key at this point in time within anthropology and, and other disciplines. Um, and the first is the ability to be self-critical about the work that we're doing and to constantly question and be thinking as we design projects, as we engage um, in projects with a variety of participants, and as we write up that work, to be in dialogue with ourselves about ethics and power and privilege, and particularly, you know, the privilege that we have as researchers to be, you know, wielding the pen or being the one at the keyboard who chooses what kinds of stories get told. The other is I think the engagement that we talked about earlier and talking about the possibilities for public anthropology. And of course, this isn't new, right? I mean, Margaret Mead was actually kind of disparaged for being the popularizer of anthropology. But when we think about, you know, AAA presidents over the last like 15 years with, um, you know, Louise Lamphere and Leith Mullings and um, Elise Waterston, all talking about the importance of public anthropology and the importance of getting our work beyond the ivory tower. And I think that that is also something that comes out of a feminist engagement that sees itself as politicized and engaged in the work that we do, how we conduct that work, but then also how we get it out to broader publics. Great. And what kind of techniques or approaches to research dissemination would you say have got a feminist hue? Again, thinking about advice in terms of um, of production, I would want students to get comfortable and familiar with as many writing styles as possible, because I think there are incredibly important theoretical works that have come out of feminist anthropology. But there are also really important op-eds and public kinds of anthropology. You know, that's creative writing. It's political advocacy and, um, you know, working on policy briefs and, and doing that kind of work. But the more different kinds of styles that we can get ourselves comfortable with, the more potential audiences and, and publics we can reach with our work. Great. Very rousing and important words, Dr. Craven. Thank you so much for talking to us at Anthrobytes today. And thank you so much, Siobhan. This has been a real pleasure. That was Dr. Krista Craven of the College of Worcester, talking us through the history and ongoing projects of feminist anthropology. You can learn more about Dr. Craven's work on our website, colanth.org. The site is packed full of useful teaching and learning resources for this and for other Anthropod episodes, providing a great starting point for digging deeper into anthropological research. You've been listening to Anthrobytes, produced by the Society for Cultural Anthropology in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. This episode was made by me, Siobhan McGurk, with executive assistance from Ariel Milkman. You can subscribe to Anthropod via iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud and you can follow the Society for Cultural Anthropology on Facebook and Twitter.